Welcome to the Dildork Storky Discourse on Sex, Dating, and Masturbating. My name is Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist, a sex blogger, and I got engaged last week, y'all. Oh Yay! my god. I've been so excited to announce this to y'all for so long. It's been like an open secret where we were like, everybody in our lives knows that we're doing this, but the internet doesn't know. And like it was for no good reason other than I wanted the eventual Instagram announcement to be more impactful because I'm a <laughs> vapid bitch. <laughs> Who are you, friend? I'm Bex. I am a sex educator and a sex blogger, and I was there for that thing. I know. It was so special. And like that was one of the things that made me cry the most, actually, because I did oh. not know you were going to be there. I knew that your partner, Ash, was going to be there yeah. because they're a photographer and Matt had like hinted that they would probably be there. Mm. Um, and then they said Bex and Ash are here somewhere. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> so much crying. Oh, oh gosh. I definitely like walked up and because we were a surprise. So I like walked up and we were looking at your location on maps coming to find you <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was like are we soon and i came around a corner and looked up and saw someone in a distance crying and i was like we're there we're here dodge <laughs> dodge dodge run <laughs> x marks the spot yeah i saw um the back of a person in a red and black plaid shirt walking away from me very quickly and i was like oh that's bex uh-huh. <laughs> spotted from a mile away yep <laughs> yep that makes sense so how did you even decide to get engaged and married and especially now? Yeah, I mean like one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode is because I think like almost all the info out there on like engagement and marriage and stuff is very cishet oriented and it is also mm-hmm. very vanilla and very monogamous and very all of those things, you know. And uh <laughs> And so I guess I wanted to, like, have a bit of a conversation about some of the more, like, non-conventional ways that these things can manifest. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think in a non-monogamous situation especially, there tends to be uh, a need for a conversation about, like, do we want to even get married? Like, because it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, as much assumed um, as it would be in a cishet, like, relationship escalator type of situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't have a, a terribly uh, interesting story in my case because it is just like I wanted to marry Matt and then I just sort of politely waited until they also realized that, that we should get married basically <laughs> is what happened. I, I didn't want to put any pressure on, but like it was like over a year ago and we were in a restaurant in Toronto mm-hmm. and we were just having dinner like normal and they said like, you know, I was I was at a place last week and I was talking to the person next to me and telling her about how I had a girlfriend in Canada and she was like why don't you just get married like wouldn't that make immigration easier or whatever Mm -hmm. and they were like why don't we just get married and they said this to me and I was like flabbergasted I was like (laughs) I've I've been thinking I had been thinking for so long like honestly this is the person I want to marry this is the person I can see myself being with for the rest of my life and I've never really dated or met anybody else I like 100% felt that way about Mm -hmm. um but I had kind of thought it wasn't a possibility because of distance and poly stuff and you know just a lot of life circumstances and so Mm -hmm. when they said that I was very shocked um and then in the months after that, we started to have conversations about, like, what would that look like? And what would that mean for us? And um, do we really want to do that? And, uh, yep, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so you, you talk about marriage having always been pretty important to you. What was it about that that was so important? Like, is it just that extra level of commitment or like what is it that draws you to marriage itself that's a really good question i was actually just having an argument with someone on reddit today about this because they were like (laughs) i can't think of any legitimate reasons to get married other than for tax reasons or you know logistical stuff and i was like Mm -hmm. okay that stuff's very valid also i think like i feel similarly about it to kind of the way i feel about like consent which is like I want to is a good enough reason. And in the same way with consent, like I don't want to is a good enough reason. Like I think it's okay to want things that the culture has programmed you to want. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. as long as you're at least slightly reflective about that, because 
uh, you don't want to just do something purely because the culture wants you to do it or because it's expected of you because it ultimately might make you unhappy if you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something too, like wanting your relationship to be acknowledged in these big and special ways by society, by your friends and family, by the law, by mm-hmm. <laughs> the taxes, the tax system. Um, in my case, the immigration system. So there's all of that. And then there's also like, this, this stuff's tough to talk about because, like, part of it is just I'm a crazy traumatized person. Um, and so I felt like if I had the stability of a marriage, it would be, like, my brain would be less likely to be like, well, they're going to leave you tomorrow, so none of this matters. Like, I just <laughs> feel like I'm, like, constantly panicking that my partner is going to leave me, like, regardless of how steady the relationship is. Mm-hmm. And so there was something about a marriage that was very like calming to me where it felt like, okay, it would be much more difficult for you to leave this situation. If you Even just to. practically and logistically, yeah. like it would take more than a day. And I guess you'd have to think about it. Right. Which sounds bad because it sounds like basically I'm like, Oh, I've trapped you in my, in my <laughs> clever trap. But I mean, what it actually means to me is like, my partner has made a carefully considered decision that they don't want to leave me and don't foresee a future in which they would want to leave me. And so they've made this commitment, which to me is just very calming to me as an anxiously attached person. I'm like, oh, yeah, pump that right into my veins. <laughs> right. And I mean, in as much as it's a trap, they have trapped themselves in it. They, they climbed into it and tucked it neatly around them and were like, yes, I would like to be trapped here. This why does that why does that sound like a kink scene like dick wound would do? Just, like <laughs> slowly lower yourself into a trap. And then it would be a bear trap or something though. Yeah. Was, my trap was much cozier. I don't know. Maybe maybe like one of those little <laughs> finger traps or something. Ooh, cute. Could you stick a dick in there? I'm sure people have done it. I don't know why this is coming up in this episode, but <laughs> Probably. I've never met a soft one though. Like there's they're a rather uh, crinkly, <laughs> scratchy material. Well, some people are into that. <laughs> I guess in in the years I've done this show, it's that is true. <laughs> people are into s- some wild shit. Um, I, it's okay. It's me. I'm people. Um, anyway, <laughs> so obviously. Being queer, kinky, poly folks going into this very traditional, I don't know, process, ritual, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I think most folks go into it and there is a very clear script on what's going to happen. And that script Mm -hmm. is not so much there for y'all. So, for example, how did you decide, like, who was going to propose and, like, how that that was going to work? Yeah, I I actually find this question so fascinating um, now that I've had to think about it mm-hmm. uh, because it's one of those things that you might not necessarily think about unless you are in a situation where you directly have to. Um, and like I know that we used to love those like lesbian proposal videos where it's like <laughs> they both unexpectedly propose to each other mm-hmm. <laughs> because they haven't talked about this. And, and I mean, that's perfectly reasonable because it's not the kind of thing society tells you you need to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the reason that it became a conversation for me and Matt was mainly that like they came out as non-binary, um, like about a year and a half into our relationship. And, um, my expectation as like a woman who was dating someone who like previously identified as a man was like, generally it's the man in that situation Mm -hmm. who would, who would do the proposing, but like. I mean, even if they hadn't come out as non-binary, I do think, like, as queer people and as kinky and non-monogamous, et cetera, people, like, this is a good conversation to have anyway. Um, Mm. Because people feel differently about things. And um, the language that we kind of arrived at with this was, like, proposal top versus proposal bottom. Like, there was, Mm. in the same way as we talk about, like, tops and bottoms in kink or in just, like, doing stuff sexually, like, there was some delight for them in the idea of being the one doing the asking and of planning the whole thing, and mm-hmm. which was, like, not surprising because, like, they've planned a lot of stuff through our relationship that's, like, always kind of been our dynamic. And I had always envisioned myself being the one who was asked. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Even though I've been out as bisexual for many, many years and dated people all across the gender spectrum, I just always was like, I would like to be asked. <laughs> uh, call it societal brainwashing if you if you want. But that was what I wanted. And so we actually very explicitly talked about that and agreed on that. And we we also talked about, like, does Matt want an engagement ring? We kind of went back and forth on that. I think where we've currently landed is no. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are going to do wedding bands for both of us. Um, so we both get a little something sparkly and shiny. So Lovely. yeah, I'm, I'm just like really glad that we talked about this stuff because it sucks so much worse to not know how your person is feeling about it and for there to maybe be like creeping resentments that you don't even know about or for somebody to feel boxed into doing something that they don't actually want to do. So I'd very much suggest that everybody talk about it, even cis-eyed couples. Yeah, and that's really clever because like it never occurred to me that I don't know, one side of the experience would, like, feel better or be more fun for me. But, like, I am very clearly a planner. Mm-hmm. And um, standing still and having people dote upon me and say nice things to me while creating a spectacle out of the experience is uh, <laughs> not not really my comfort zone, not super my wheelhouse. Um, right. Which I super know when I say it in a sentence like that. But yeah, you don't necessarily break it out that way you know or think about it that way naturally yeah I mean I think like our brains organize it in this particular way where maybe it's like it's something that you are quote-unquote supposed to want maybe depending Mm -hmm. on who you are and so you kind of like may not even think critically about whether you actually want it or not Mm -hmm. um so I think it's really good to think about that but now that's making me wonder do you think I mean I know that you're like not you know, dreaming of marriage. And this is one of the interesting differences between us. Yeah, Um, very much. But like, if you had to choose, it sounds like you see yourself as more of a proposal top. Yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoy planning things and like, making cute surprises and things um, and having, you know, big secrets and reveals and whatever, like, that's fun. Yeah. Um, and you don't and, re- really like being surprised in my experience. <laughs> no, not so much. And certainly not with emotions. Right. <laughs> emotions in public? Yeah, that's that's Like, a big surprise, thing. you're going to have a feeling and we're going to talk about your attachment in front of all of these people who are going to be very <laughs> excited for you. Um, yeah. And you're going to need to hold all those feelings. How's that going? Like, <laughs> I, I never would have really thought about or unpacked how uncomfortable that is or why uh, outside of this conversation. But I'm like, oh, right, that is just a situation made for me to want to crawl into a hole. Cool, cool, cool. Great. Yeah. And the thing that sucks is like, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who feel that way and still, for whatever reason of gender roles or relationship expectations or whatever, feel like they have to still be the one to be proposed to. And, uh, yeah, it's just, like, one of the downfalls of societal scripts in general is, like, you might feel obligated to do a thing you don't want to do. And that's not, that's not great. That's not what we want. I mean, this is supposed to be, like, a happy, fun process. You don't want to stress yourself out too much with it. Yeah. Um, and it is, like, obviously, by our conversation here, the proposal and the engagement is kind of a ritual and a process in and of itself outside of the marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious how you feel about, like, this other kind of separate ritual and ceremony that that we do. Yeah, it's... (laughs) it, It was kind of a silly thing as I was trying to explain it to people because, like, basically, I had booked a plane ticket to go to New York to be with Matt And our plan was we would get engaged and then get married so that they Mm -hmm. could basically come visit me during COVID in Toronto (laughs) because that was, (laughs) that was like, you had to be legally married at the time under law for that, Mm -hmm. for them to be able to come visit me. So I would say to people like my therapist or family members or whatever, like I'm going to New York and I'm going to marry my partner. And they'd be like, oh, great. So you're engaged. And I'd be like, well, no, because, (laughs) because we talked about it and we were like, how much does the proposal ritual matter to us and we really thought about it and we were like it actually matters a lot (laughs) like we we do actually both care about it a lot it just I feel like it's one of those things that if I didn't do it I would always regret having not done it Mm -hmm. and I would just be kind of you know sad on a deep level about it but you know feeling unable to really acknowledge that Mm -hmm. so we waited until I was here to do it. And it was so strange because like I a hundred percent knew it was coming. We had explicitly agreed it was coming, but you know, much like a kink scene, 
sometimes you don't exactly know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or what mm-hmm. it's going to feel like when it does happen. Um, so yeah, it was somehow not a surprise at all. And yet also a, a complete surprise. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. And was also, uh, somewhat by design. How did you feel about like, I don't know, it being a surprise versus knowing it was coming? Like, yeah, people have a lot of feelings about this. Actually, when I was explaining this to my mom before the proposal, she was like, didn't you want to be surprised? And my feeling is I would not want to marry someone who I had not already had several conversations about. We want to get married and we should get married. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I read this book a while ago, which you would probably love. Uh, and it's called Love Inc. Uh, love oh. I-N-C by Laurie Essig. And it's mm-hmm. about like basically how romantic love is a capitalist patriarchal plot. Um, <laughs> love it. Fantastic. On yeah, board already. I mean, yeah, I was very conflicted going into it because I was like, but I like romantic love. I don't want to have it ruined for me. <laughs> and yet I'm intrigued. Um, <laughs> and she has a whole chapter in there that's about the proposal ritual. And it's so fascinating. Like there are so many things about that ritual that are so strange and contrived. Like everybody kind of thinks the diamond engagement ring thing has been around forever. It hasn't. It was nope. invented in the 1940s by the De Beers Diamond Company to sell more diamonds. Um, it was it was literally like a commercial uh, campaign yeah. that just really stuck with us, right? Yeah, and they, De Beers like paid, you know, the equivalent of influencers at that time, like big celebrities, movie mm-hmm. stars, that kind of thing, to wear their diamonds publicly or to talk about their diamonds publicly to kind of like rep this idea of diamonds as timeless and as synonymous with everlasting love and all of that stuff. Um and in Love, Inc., Lori Essig also talks about this whole genre uh, on YouTube and stuff of, like, proposal fails, which mm. are these videos of, like, mostly dudes asking mostly women to marry them, mostly in very public places and getting a no. And mm. uh, it's so embarrassing and cringy to watch these videos. And the entire time I'm watching them, I'm just like, you guys should have talked about this beforehand. Like, you could have solved so many problems. It's so important to make sure you're on the same page about something this big. Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't fathom. And also, like, you talked about your, your partner was stressed and nervous on that day. And you had had so many conversations. Like, they knew the answer and it was still (laughs) nerve-wracking imagine like i'm gonna i i feel like it's that same like that same fear that people come to me with like oh god i have to ask them about this new kink that i found out that i'm into (laughs) yeah it's like taking all of that fear and being like i'm gonna do it in public and put a lot of money on the line when i do it (laughs) that seems like a great idea bring this up for the first time and like it's also just (laughs) i don't know not nice to the person who has to answer and now think about that for the first time in public yeah i'm sure it can be kind of even a coercive situation sometimes because you're in public and there's people around maybe and you know some of these proposal fails are at like disney world or whatever um or it's like you know you don't really feel a hundred percent safe to say no i would imagine or at least you feel like people might be upset people you don't even know if you said no so it's just not a good situation like i think um me and matt had a conversation about this at one point where they were like basically to what extent do you want to be surprised which is a great question Mm. oh so good i wish so many more people would ask this about so many more things and i was like i do want it to be a surprise but i also want to know when i'm entering a period of life in which a proposal might happen Mm -hmm. um and they were like so you want to know when i have a ring and i said yes that's that's probably exactly what i mean um yeah because at that point you know i started growing out my nails for that for that (laughs) sweet sweet ring pick um (laughs) yeah and i started uh just emotionally preparing myself which as a person with anxiety is a thing i need to do for things like this yeah for sure and you had the benefit of like knowing when you were in the same state because they weren't just going to pop out of the bushes in Toronto without, like, talking to you first. That's true. We actually, like, when we got into our, our relationship initially, because it was long distance, we had at one point to talk about how do you feel about surprise visits. 
Because that is a thing people do sometimes in LDRs, and I get why it would be thrilling and fun for some people. But for me, I'm like, I, I, I was in my pajama pants, like having an introvert moment, and I had plans to play The Sims for five hours this weekend, and then you just showed up. Like, I don't want that. So we agreed, no surprise visits, not allowed. We're too yeah. busy. We're too stressed. We don't We don't need it. <laughs> On it. Honestly, my partner and I had a similar conversation because we're going to be living within walking distance of each other for the first time in our relationship. Oh, so you could do like a pop-in if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, we were like, not really long distance. We lived a, about a state apart. but Medium um, distance. Yeah, enough. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be within walking distance, which is a change. And mm-hmm. we were like, wow, you could just like pop over like we're gonna have keys to each other's house you can just like show up in my house and then we were both like yeah but we won't though we, we, we could it'll be, i'm so excited that we could we will not though yeah definitely not like at least an hour notice yeah yeah sounds good yeah that's what i thought okay cool 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 <laughs> <laughs> we're too adhd surprise even surprises by like the person i adore is like ah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is so wild to me that, like, surprise is so linked in our culture with, like, romance or, you know, spontaneity is linked with romance. And this is part of why people don't want to talk about sex, right? Like, mm-hmm. they, they want everything to be spontaneous and magical, and they don't want to have to sit down and have a conversation about, like, do you want to be pegged? What dildo should I buy? Like, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like... If you're able to just kind of set aside that idea, which is very societally influenced, like, I think it is so much more romantic to consider your partner's needs and desires and to build an experience that your partner will actually like uh, and not just sort of this generic romantic gesture that you think some theoretical person would like. And, like, I I don't know, even on a, like... Yes, all of those are good, smart reasons for those things. And also, don't you like being excited and looking forward to something? (laughs) Like, on the most practical level, anytime someone, like, links, I don't know, sex or just romance in general, like, oh, it's it's all about the surprise. I'm like, but but then you don't get to look forward to it. Yeah. Like, my brain, again, is one that needs warm-up before anything happens, like, just a second to get accustomed to the idea. Mm -hmm. But for me, I love being able to, like, be like, oh, it's only a week until this happens, or, ooh, later today I get to, like, stick my dick in someone or whatever. Like, (laughs) knowing that something exciting is coming, I don't know, just adds a little sparkle to the rest of the time before it. So yeah. I imagine that's a much more comfortable way to, uh, or a much more comfortable place to be in prior to getting engaged than the more, like, anxiety, jittery, is this coming? What is this coming? Oh, God, am I misreading everything? Maybe it's not coming. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, no! Yeah. Which is, like, a, a close cousin to that excited feeling, <laughs> let's be exactly. honest. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like, in the in the weeks leading up to me flying down here, I... Like, I have a ring that I, like, bought for myself years ago that's, like, just this blue topaz heart. Um, and I would just be, like, wearing it around the house on my ring finger just mm-hmm. to kind of, like, I don't know, like, emotionally acclimatize myself to the sensation of, like, that I could be and will be engaged. It was, like, pretty silly, but um, I don't know. Something I've learned about myself as a person with anxiety is like, I just do better at things if I have an opportunity to practice them, even things that like you shouldn't necessarily be able to practice. (laughs) Yeah, that's something that I have. I mean, anxiety for sure, but it's also something that really helps with my ADHD is even if I can't practice it, I like in the past year, I have spent so much more time on YouTube than I ever had before because it's like not my <laughs> social media platform of choice. Mm-hmm. But just looking up like how to blank, because mm-hmm. spending five minutes watching someone else do a thing is just like emotional and mental foreplay to do the yeah. thing. Like it's just that little bit of like, I can't imagine a picture of what it will look like to do it. So I'm just going to picture someone else. So I can imagine <laughs> in that same way. Like, I can't imagine what it's going to feel like to be engaged, but I'm going to put on the costume of an engaged person and walk <laughs> around and just mull that over for a while and yeah. and see how that feels before I do it for realsies. 
Yeah, that's so real. And I do the same thing on YouTube. And mm-hmm. and it's making me think about like how silly it is that watching videos of people getting engaged allowed me to have what I think is a more authentic and spontaneous reaction when it actually mm-hmm. happened, which is, hear me out on this, like, because if I hadn't done that in the moment of getting engaged, I would have been seized with immediate anxiety about, I don't know how to react to this. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be mm-hmm. looking, what my face should look like. I don't know what to expect. Um, and the fact that I had already done all that research as an anxious person allowed me to kind of reflect on like, how do I want to react when this happens? And how do I think I will react when this happens? And, you know, it just gave me some parameters and a sense of like what is generally acceptable in this situation. (laughs) So like when it actually happened, I felt like I was reacting in the way that I maybe would if I was a bit more neurotypical. (laughs) Like I was just like having the right reaction, but it just, it took more work maybe than it would for a person who's, who's less crazy than me. (laughs) Well, I can also just see it creating more space for you to have a more genuine reaction because the like scope of what a genuine reaction can look like got a lot wider for you. Cause when I think of a proposal, I have one like Hallmark movie image of, (laughs) I don't know. It's it's th- it's that shit, right? I, I, yeah, I've seen movies. I think I don't know. I could like <laughs> draw some stick figures getting proposed or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like so, I could see sitting down and watching a wide variety of them in the same way. Like I take a million selfies of myself, and it makes me more comfortable seeing my own face, because it's like, oh, that's the wide variety of, like, faces I can make, right? <laughs> and, and you you kind of understand the, uh, I don't know, the, the broad spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, and it reminds me of, um, in talking to Matt and other proposal tops, one of my favorite things to hear about is... Um, when they practice kneeling beforehand. (laughs) I just think this is like the cutest, funniest thing. And it is also so synonymous with like a quality I really love in a person, which is being nervous in a way that, I mean, or I guess like caring about a thing to an extent that it manifests as a nervousness. Like this has Mm -hmm. always been like a super attractive quality to me, I guess, just because like it's a thing I experience also. And it to me reads as real love. Um, And so, yeah, I just love these stories about like, because if I was a proposal top, I would definitely be practicing kneeling. I would make sure I knew which knee I was going to kneel on and where my foot was going to go. And like, Mm -hmm. I was just reading the other day about this product that's like, a sock that has a special like storage part in it for a ring box. So you can just sort of produce the ring out of thin air while you're kneeling. I was like, this is genius. This is exactly my shit. I love I it. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the ring speaking of the ring, it's beautiful. Thank um, you. How, how do you feel about kind of like the symbolism and the meaning of the ring? You mentioned that you had one and, and Matt doesn't. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that is like kind of a patriarchal token that I have had to process some complicated feelings about. Um, and it's interesting, like the the fact that uh, it's a fairly recent tradition. Like in my mind, I always kind of thought of it as like being a much older tradition that maybe had to do with direct ownership. Like maybe it was about like. I put this ring on you and it means that you're my property and it means that everyone who sees you sees that you're my property. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that it's more recent than that era, <laughs> hopefully, um, indicates that that's not quite exactly what it was. But um, I still think there is an element to it that is very kind of DSE to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of, it, it is that kind of thing of like, I am consensually owned by you in a way and other people are seeing that. Um, and it's also just like really beautiful. Like the, the financial piece is a bit difficult to talk about because I fully believe you do not have to spend a lot or anything on a ring um, for it to be mm-hmm. a meaningful symbol. And I like, I really don't think that the financial inaccessibility of these rings is cool. Like I think it's a, it's a big problem that like we expect people to spend 
exorbitant amounts of money on a thing that our culture considers like pretty necessary for mm. expressing this particular mode of love. Um, but Matt was saying to me that like they actually felt that spending a decent chunk of change on the ring was like part of the process for them. It was like part of affirming to themselves that this was a commitment they were really making and they, they were really committed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of meaning in it and, um, yeah, it's just really special to me. I keep like staring at it all the time and it just makes me feel really loved every time I look at it, which I think is the point hopefully of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I-, I love it on both kinky and non kinky levels. <laughs> Well, the the kinky thing is interesting, and you talk about how I could totally see how, like, making a a financial investment in this can feel like a level of commitment and, you know, a a step of dedication and devotion. But I also know that your partner has fin-dom feelings. (laughs) That's Um, true, yes. So I'm curious if you think it played into that at all, or or if there were any other ways that you kind of made your proposal kinky. That's very interesting. Yeah, I don't think that we talked about specifically the connection between like Findom and ring purchasing, but that definitely would have been a part of it. I mean, like just in the couple of months that me and Matt have been exploring Findom, I've been seeing the way that they like light up when I tell them to buy me something. Like the other day we went out for brunch on like a patio and it was cold and Mm -hmm. um and I was like, I didn't bring warm enough clothes for this situation. So I like made them take me to a to a J Crew and buy me a cashmere sweater. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it was like I just really love seeing how they like absolutely light up when I make them buy me stuff <laughs> in a way that like I never would have predicted because it's not a feeling I personally really have about that. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that that was an element of it. And like one of the things we talked about was I had assigned them a task at one point to write an essay about the ring buying process, which Mm -hmm. um, they wrote it before they proposed, but then I asked them to hold on to it and read it to me after they proposed. So I would hear the whole story of like how they bought the ring and how they decided on it and all this stuff. And it's Mm -hmm. really, really lovely. Um, And one of the things they asked me when they were writing that is like, do you want me to leave out, specific dollar amounts so that it doesn't trigger like your anxiety about like that's too much money to spend on me I'm not worth that and I was like you're exactly right I would feel that way if there were exact dollar amounts pretty much regardless of the dollar amounts (laughs) like I think Uh I just I just feel fundamentally worthless that's cool I'll talk to my (laughs) therapist about it more um (laughs) but yeah the 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 money piece is very interesting and I think Mm -hmm. like as a kinky couple, we probably talked about it more than many vanilla couples would have because I think mm-hmm. there's a general sentiment that talking about money considerations is like unromantic or something. And I actually think it can be very romantic to know that your partner spent a shit ton of money on you. <laughs> That's not the for only sure. way to be romantic and it's not required, certainly, but yeah. For certainly sure. an option though. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, you know, basically how we did it, but because mm. you're a kink genius and just a genius in general, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like how to make a proposal more pervy or more feminist or more queer or more non-monogamous or like any of these kinds of ideas. Well, the non-monogamous thing brings to mind a lot of, um, I've just seen a lot of commitment ceremonies um, between entire polycules or between like, platonic partners in non-monogamous polycules um Mm -hmm. uh and and i think that's just really lovely and just expanding the definitions of like what an engagement has to look like and who it has to be between like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be romantic it doesn't have to be between two people um i think that alone is a really great way to do that Mm -hmm. um in terms of kink, I mean, a lot of that can go into your language. It can go into the things that you use to symbolize your connection mm-hmm. um, and the way that you describe your connection. Um, it can go into what you're asking them to do, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, marry me may not be the like the language you want to use for the kind of commitment you want to have. Because engagement and proposals are doesn't necessarily have to track into a like 
traditional marriage. It can be taking a step in some sort of commitment to one another. Yeah, and I mean, I think part of this too is complicated by the fact that many people's marriages are not legally allowed or not possible, whether it be mm-hmm. maybe same-sex marriage isn't allowed uh, where you live. Maybe uh, Amy <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett just got appointed to the Supreme Court where you live, so you're worried Whoa. about the future of your marriage possibilities. Um, but also, you know, there are certain things around like sometimes disabled people don't want to get married because of laws related to how they might lose their benefits if they get married. Mm-hmm. Um or sometimes there can be certain complications around like trans people's gender markers being disrespected in like marriage documentation. So maybe they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever it is, like, I think the important thing here is it's a, an expression of commitment or an expression of your love. And you do not necessarily have to involve the legal system, although there are sometimes reasons why you may want to. Mm-hmm. So we have some really great listener questions, and one of them kind of harkens back to what you were talking about earlier when you said you really thought marriage wasn't on the table at all um, because poly reasons and because distance reasons and practicality and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious if in that time you came up with any skills to kind of uh, cope with recognizing that that wasn't on the table. Yeah, uh, I think actually... Our recent guest, Jessica Fern, who wrote the book Polysecure, has some really, really great tips in her book about basically how to establish a feeling of safety, security, commitment, et cetera, in a relationship, even if uh, the more traditional markers of those things like marriage or kids or even cohabitation are not on the table, whether it be because that person already has those things with another person or maybe they're solo poly and they just really don't want to do those things. Um a lot of her tips are about like ways that you actually relate to each other in the moments of, of being together. Um, so related to like emotional attunement, being there for each other. Um, but also things like keeping up to date on each other's day-to-day schedules. Um, you know, being the person who you each come to when something important happens in your lives. Um, I'm not really doing justice to it. I would honestly really recommend that anybody struggling with this read at least that section of Polysecure. The rest of it may not be super relevant to you depending on your attachment issues, but that part is really great. Um, and also like, I, I want to say too, because I know that this question referred specifically to non-hierarchical poly and Mm -hmm. the worry that marriage is not an option within that. Um, it can be. Uh, Something I learned from reading Dr. Liz Powell's book, Building Open Relationships, is that hierarchy is more about like who has the control over whose relationships. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just because there's a couple who are married does not necessarily mean that that couple has power over um, their partner's relationships with other people or can mm-hmm. like veto other partners or can like make rules for their partners, other relationships. It's more a matter of like who has the power to set boundaries or to, you know, control the relationships basically. So I think marriage is like sometimes just a practical consideration. It does not necessarily have to say anything about hierarchy It may be um, because you have kids together or because it's easier for your taxes or like literally whatever. Um, I don't think you need to necessarily rule out marriage just because you're non-hierarchical. I just think it may be a bit more difficult and you may need to have more conversations about what it means. Yeah, my partner and I are both non-hierarchical and they are marrying their other partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is not gonna have much if any impact on my relationship with them except i'm planning the orgy afterwards (laughs) um like they're uh it's really sweet they're they're marrying their nesting partner and their nesting partner keeps like talking about oh wow bex is gonna be living so close soon oh that's great he's just gonna be around he's just gonna be here (laughs) and like it like Although I'm not in a relationship with him, like, it, our relationships are not at war with each other. Like, my relationship with our mutual partner, they, like, they are distinct relationships. They're getting married. I'm excited for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's 
not going to impact me because that's how non-hierarchical relationships work. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that you're modeling that and talking about that because I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say like not everybody is as chill as you about these things. And like, you know, if if uh, you're getting engaged to one partner, another partner may need extra reassurance in that time, Mm -hmm. you know, extra reassurance that your relationship is still special and um, that, you know, it remains non-hierarchical and not controlled by your other relationship. Um, And I also think PolySecure would be a great resource in that case too. Yeah. And honestly, like as much as the reassurance I get from my partner is really helpful, having a good rapport and dynamic with my metamor is much more helpful in Mm. all of that Mm -hmm. um because like yes i know intellectually and like in the you know how my partner and i both approach our relationship in the world morally um that it is not going to have an impact (laughs) those are like the rules on how we do the thing but also I've met the man they're marrying, and it's not going to have an impact, is the thing. Um, And, like, that matters so much more because I've seen it, and I've lived it, and I've crashed on their couch for a weekend when I was visiting my partner, um, and it's not been weird. And being able to have that kind of relationship, again, not everyone can. But that is what makes me feel so much more comfortable and secure about, like, them escalating their relationship. Because I I know for a fact it is not a step away from me and towards him in mm-hmm. the way that I know it could really feel. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. And I think it's also maybe worth considering, um, especially when you get to the point where you're having a wedding like maybe you want to have some kind of equivalent thing with other partners. It may, it, it probably does not need to be as high profile and ridiculous as a wedding, but like, um, I just imagine if I was in that situation, if I was the partner not getting married, I may want, um, even if it's just, you know, a small like commitment ceremony with a couple of friends or, we write, you know, fake vows for each other and exchange them on the couch. I don't know. Just something that, like, actually is a gesture that communicates the non-hierarchy at play, I think, would, would go a long way here. Mm-hmm. And you can also, if, depending on how your relationship, like, is structured, I don't know, I personally would feel weird about it happening, like, around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um I I wouldn't find that as comforting, but I would find it comforting to know that, like, oh, hey, down the line, like, we also have, like, I've had conversations with my partner about, like, oh, yeah, down the line, we have collaring ceremonies that will mm-hmm. matter to us, and that will be significant to us, and will be a big emotional milestone and step for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recognizing that, oh, cool, we have a thing cool great um and it was actually something i brought up uh during the during your engagement shoot i like leaned over to them and i was like oh we don't get to do this we're gonna have to have someone photograph a collaring ceremony one day (laughs) like because i I was like oh neat yeah but it was was like this little (laughs) reflective moment of like oh well this isn't a thing i have but that is a thing and like depending on pandemic and location and such, we will discuss you being there, yes. Yeah. Um, however, and whatever that looks like in whatever future time, however. Um, but yeah, just knowing that, like, oh, hey, that's a thing that'll be on our r- horizon, and when our, I guess, I don't know, what is it, a relationship staircase, if you can go up it and down <laughs> it at will? Um, when our, When we're <laughs> hanging out on that step of our relationship staircase, um... We, we have that to look forward to, to as well. Yeah. And I think like what that points out to me is even if you know very confidently that you reject the idea of getting married for yourself, mm-hmm. um, there can still be some like residual sadness or disappointment or feeling of being left out or whatever. Um, and that's just like, I don't know, a pretty normal thing that happens when you don't live up to a, a, an expectation that society sets for you, even if you don't adhere to that expectation in your ethics or values. Um, 
And like, that's okay. Like, you don't have to like be mean to yourself. I'm not talking to you necessarily because I know that like you're doing all right. But I just mean in general, like you don't have to be mean to yourself if, if feelings like that are coming up. And it also doesn't need to shatter your worldview and make you like, do I actually just want to be a boring, cishet, married person? Hmm. Um, Because it's pretty normal that like if society trains you your entire life to want a thing, that there may be a slight amount of mourning associated with deciding that you don't need or want that thing. Yeah. And in typical Bex fashion, I'm going to ask you to uh, sit down and examine a little bit of what that thing you want is. Um, Because... (laughs) This this might sound silly, right? But in in the practical nitty gritty of like being the partner of someone planning a wedding, um, you might get jealous over little things. Mm-hmm. Like it might be like, wow, I want an excuse to get like fancy clothes, or wow, I want <laughs> I want to go to a fancy cake tasting and buy a decadent cake. That is, like, I'm going to spend way too much money on. No fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there are a lot of little, silly, fun things that will mm-hmm. go into getting married and celebrating all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe the answer is, like, you have a silly, decadent party in your living room with a fancy cake. And <laughs> even if it's, like, just you and your partner, right? Like, for me, I was, like, watching your engagement photo shoot, and I was like, I want pictures of us being cute. <laughs> Yeah. I, w- I, I want to feel special and pretty. <laughs> so I found a thing that we could take pictures of, right? Yeah. I w- and it would have been very easy to be like, oh, no, I felt a pang of jealousy. <gasps> I guess I must want to get engaged to my partner. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to unpack this with my metamor. <laughs> this is going to be so many conversations. No, I just want pretty pictures. Yeah. That was all. Yeah, and that's a skill because sometimes when a bad feeling hits, you can just be like, oh, I feel a bad feeling. I'm just going to sit here in this feeling and you don't immediately necessarily want to dive into the specific reasons for it and thinking behind it, yeah. uh, which is something I'm learning over and over again from my therapist. <laughs> they'll, or, they'll be oh like, God, I had a bad you- feeling, better shove it out of the way and not think too hard about it. <laughs> Yeah, and just pretend it didn't exist because you know I'm I'm quite familiar with that experience. Uh, it's really hard to find out where the bad feeling came from mm-hmm. and address it though. <laughs> the thing. Yeah, uh, but we're talking a lot about rings and collars, and one of the listener questions uh, they wrote in asking if your ring is going to replace your collar if you don't need your collar anymore. Yeah, I thought this was a very interesting question because I'm sure for some people they are basically emotionally synonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that never even occurred to me, I think because yeah. the engagement ring is to the more vanilla aspect or more, uh, holistic aspect of our relationship, what the caller is to the DS aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, the DS is very important and maybe even fundamental, but it is not the whole relationship. And also, um, it just means a different thing out in the world. Like, you know, at a kink event, people are going to know what my collar means, but more broadly, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And um, they're just like two different processes for me. Uh, and I like them both at different times for different reasons. I'm sure there will be many times when I'm wearing both at once. Um, and yeah, to me, they just have different meanings. But like, I think what this question pointed out to me more than anything is like, it's good to think about what these things, what these symbols mean to you um, mm-hmm. and to decide that amongst yourself and with your partner or partners um, because, yeah, being on the same page about these types of things is important. Like what if my partner's expectation was that the engagement ring had basically replaced the collar and I didn't feel that way at all? It would be pretty awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's good, it's good to chat about this stuff. I'm curious. Are you going to wear your collar on your wedding day? That's very interesting. I think we've actually talked about that a couple times. Um, I would guess yes, in part because most of the people at that very small wedding are going to be kinky. I don't. I don't think we've mentioned yet. You are the officiant. Yes. Um, so there will just be an air of kinkiness throughout. I am officially <laughs> a minister, y'all. That's just <laughs> Reverend Bex. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> 
I'm just, uh, I believe the text I sent to my partner when I got my documentation was Minister Daddy. Um, <laughs> so we're just, we're gonna, I got this for highly official reasons, but we're just gonna be playing with that for a little bit later. They keep trying to frame it and hang it on the wall in my new place. <laughs> They're like, everyone needs to know when they walk in that you are a minister. <laughs> It's important. It's definitely a conversation piece. (laughs) Welcome to my home. Also, would you like to get married? Can I take care of that for you real quick? (laughs) Not to me, but to someone. (laughs) Probably can't do that one, actually. (laughs) Um, Speaking of wearing your collar, uh, someone asked if it would make sense to have someone uh, not wear their collar while they are being proposed to so that they can feel more free to make like an independent decision. Yeah, this was another one that I was like, wow, our listeners have the best, most interesting, nuanced, complex questions sometimes. Y'all are just mm-hmm. so great. I love how you think about things. Um, this reminded me of debates I've heard in the kink community generally about negotiating scenes in slash out of role. Um, mm. And there's a lot of different opinions on this. Some people say you should never initiate a scene in role because it'll influence what you say no to and what you say yes to. Um, you know, like if me as a sub, if my dom brings up like, I'd really love to do a heavy knife play scene. And I'm like, oh, yes, sir. For sure, <laughs> sir. Um, <laughs> That's always the fear, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you know, then you have people like Princess Callie who say that negotiating in role is better because I'm not going to try to even actually paraphrase what she says exactly. But how I feel about it kind of is like that's the role you're generally in in your relationship mm-hmm. if you're like more of a 24/7 kinkster, um, and it would be actually kind of jarring and strange to be out of role for that negotiation. Um, mm. I went to a workshop at the playground conference once where the presenters said that they like to negotiate in two different headspaces. Um, and actually I, my partner brought this up because they bought the engagement ring while they were in chastity. And I kind of was joking, like, are you sure that was a good decision? Are you sure you weren't (laughs) just like influenced by the weird chastity headspaces? And they were like, well, I negotiated with myself in two different States. So, (laughs) so I knew it was a good decision. I love that. That reminds me of, like, when you and I would talk about, like, intoxicant stuff. And, like, you would text me when tipsy on a date. Be like, sober me wants to fuck this person, right? And I'll be like, yeah, no, we talked about this. So you definitely (laughs) wanted to fuck this person. You'd be like, okay, cool, because drunk me wants to fuck this person. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But so to actually try to answer the question, um, I really think it depends on your relationship I think um, probably if you're the dom in this scenario, you have some sense of like whether your sub is going to be influenced in a not so great way by having their collar on. Um, Mm. But also like we're kinksters. We can talk about this shit. You don't have to manage all the stuff and have it be a surprise. Like as we've been talking about this whole episode, like you can just honestly bring it up with your partner. I'm worried that this might be an influence and I want to know what you think about that. And um I don't even think this is a situation where I can say err on the side of caution and have them not wear it because I think some people would say err on the side of caution and have them wear it. I mean, I think it really depends on your dynamic and mm-hmm. what's, you know, normal for you. What do you think about this? Yeah, I I think this question assumes that there is a much clearer barrier between in role and out of role than mm-hmm. there is. Um I mean, I think the the broader question of, like, negotiating and, and all of that, um, because I, I have never experienced my kink headspaces as something I could turn off, like light switch. Mm-hmm. Um, if you play with some degree of conditioning and your collar means you are in headspace and it puts you into a subby role, because you can absolutely do that, right? When you kneel at my feet and I put my collar on you, you are my subby little slave and you will do whatever I say. Mm-hmm. And you do that, you know, enough times and your brain will get into that habit, right? If that is your dynamic, yeah, probably don't act like don't drop them into subspace with the collar and then ask them big serious questions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
However, if your collar is a symbol of a broader dynamic that permeates your entire relationship, I think... I don't know, it's almost disingenuous to assume that taking off the piece of fabric or leather is going to suddenly put you on equal footing for uh, for this proposal. I think the question of power is a lot larger than that. And I think if you're having these conversations in advance the way we were talking about earlier and not just springing this question on someone, then I think that's going to take care of the issue a lot more um, and, and, and give someone a, a higher degree of autonomy mm-hmm. than taking the fabric off their neck. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was wearing my collar when Matt proposed, but I honestly mm-hmm. like wasn't really thinking about it. There was a lot of other stuff going on. Um, and I think what was most important there was like, we've created a dynamic in our relationship where like, I know that my genuine opinion and genuine thoughts and feelings on things are valued and are in fact like mandatory uh, mm-hmm. as a part of our dynamic. Um, and I, I don't really generally feel coerced or pressured into, you know, doing what they say just because they say to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think like having an overall healthy dynamic is probably more important here than, as you said, the the piece of leather on your neck. Yeah, absolutely. Bex, thank you so much for uh, joining me in this discussion. Um, I just, one of the things I really love about our friendship is like, as much as we have a lot, a lot in common, we also just like really respect each other's differences of opinion <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and just differences in general. And like mm-hmm. marriage has always been one of those things where like, I know you're not stoked on it for yourself like at all, but I like you nah. just are totally there with me on my excitement journey about it. And I just really appreciate that. And I love you. And I'm excited for you to officiate my weird COVID wedding. Oh, I love you too. <laughs> and I'm very excited to be there. Yay. In my minister suit. Oh my god, you're gonna look so cute and kinky. There's gonna be so much leather at this event. I'm certain. There of really it. is. There really is. <laughs> um, also, I should say, like, we're considering doing like a part two of this episode, which would be about like weddings and marriage, because I really kind of felt like engagement and proposals were such a juicy topic that they deserved mm-hmm. their own episode. So, if any folks out there have questions on the more like weddings and marriage side of things. Um, especially related to the queer kinky non-monogamous shit that we specialize in, please feel free to email us or DM us and I will add those to my list. Uh, I have been Kate Sloan. You can find my blog at girlyjuice.net and that's also where I posted the entire proposal story, which I didn't go into in too much detail here because frankly it would have been lengthy and (laughs) (laughs) self-indulgent. But please feel free to go check that out. I think the post is just called, I'm engaged, here's the story. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at girly underscore juice. Where is your stuff? I'm Bex. You can find all my writing at bextalksex.com and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at bextalksex. I'm also naked on the internet as Billy Lore. So you can find me on Twitter at Billy Lore at just for... at just for dot fans slash yeah um at just for dot fans sl- slash billy lore and at billy lore dot many dot com i'll get better at saying those at some point <laughs> yeah there were the dildorks we're the dildorks on twitter and instagram and at the dildorks.com you can also find us by searching the dildorks in your favorite podcast app while you're there rate and review us i love hearing how great i am and if you want to make me feel even greater you can go to patreon.com slash the dildorks and throw money at us to help us keep doing what we're doing thank you so much to protodome who did our beautiful theme song that i love thank you to amy who did our wonderful logo that i love And thank you to you for listening. Until next time, folks, get out there and live your sexy, dorky life. Bye. And also vote for Joe Biden. Yes. I always leave a... I think it's too late when this goes out, love. Uh... No, I think it's day of. I think it is. It goes out the third. I think it go. It goes out the third, which is the day. Yeah. So okay. 
They may have a couple hours. <laughs> okay. A lot of the tips she gives are related to how you actually relate to I'm so slurry. I'm sorry. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's okay. My pipes are back. Do you hear them? They started yeah. today. Oh, I love those days pipes. Matt has a has a person we call the screamer living in their radiator who sometimes when the heat comes on will just go it's very scary i hate that (laughs) (laughs) um i gotta get back to my point what was my point um together we're the dildorks we're at the dildorks on twitter and instagram fuck i do this one all the time what even was that word i love it whatever it was not clear not clear (laughs) um not familiar with that app. Too old. Um, 